Lord, protect me today. Let me be an example. Let me be a leader. Bless me with your righteousness. Let them see you in me. God, I need you right now. Help me out of this mess. Help me take a stand against the devil. Help me stand my ground. Please lead me away from this temptation. Deliver me from this evil. I could have died. Thank you for watching out for me. My life is in your hands. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, your word says, I can have whatever I pray in your name. Your word says, the power that raised you from the dead lives in me. Heal me, God. Save me from the grip of death. I have faith that your mighty hand can move this mountain. Your servant is ready for battle. With Christ, we have the victory. All right, well, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? My name is Nith, and I have the privilege of serving here as the teaching pastor. Before we jump in, will you help me in welcoming all of our campuses watching throughout the state of New Jersey or online? What's up, everybody? Welcome. So glad to have you guys here as we are actually wrapping up our series. You've survived six weeks of SWAT. So well done. We... Uh, we got through it together, amen. And it stands for Spiritual Warfare and Tactics, where we've been learning in our small groups, how do we take a stand against spiritual darkness, and how do we walk out in our authority that God has given us. And so today we're going to be wrapping it up with the sixth installment, which is talking about the sword of the Spirit. And um, how do we wield the sword and use it in a way, and this is actually one of my favorite pieces of the army. But before we dive in, I actually want to talk a little bit about diving in, and that is baptism. And so uh, in about two weeks from today, we are going to be celebrating baptisms across all of our campuses. And at Liquid, we believe that you are not saved when you get baptized, but baptism is the response to your salvation. It's kind of like a wedding ring, right? Like the wedding ring is a sim symbolizes your love for your spouse, but if you lose your ring, you don't lose your marriage. In the same way, baptism is this outward symbol of an inward reality. And a lot of times we will get questions from people going, you know, Pastor Nathan, I thought, you know, I was baptized as an infant. I thought it was okay. Why do I need to get baptized again? I love that question because I was baptized as an infant. And what I tell people is, listen, when we're baptized as infants, it's really what, it's really a statement of what our parents believe. Like our parents loved Jesus. They wanted us to grow up um, in a way where we kind of understood what Jesus did for us and that we would one day have a relationship with him. But here at Liquid, we believe in what's called believer's baptism where it's a voluntary thing that we do. And when you're an infant, uh, you can't, really can't do anything voluntarily, right? And so here it's an opportunity when you get to a point where you understand what Jesus did for you, where you understand um, what your sins uh, have led to, and we need that salvation, and you make that decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you take that step. The step after that is baptism. It's where we actually kind of identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In fact, um, Jesus, before he left his disciples, he actually said this about baptism in Matthew 20. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And what's this word, church? Baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus actually commands us to go through the waters of baptism. It's actually an opportunity where we can say, I am part of the Jesus movement. So if you're a believer today, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, and you've never gone through the waters of baptism, I want to encourage you. December 2nd, you can sign up. Go to liquidchurch.com baptism, and you can get all the information that you need. You can sign up, and it will be an incredible time. And what's kind of interesting about baptism it's almost like an initiation or a rite of initiation. It's basically saying, I'm part of the Jesus movement. I'm part of God's army. I am all in 100%. That's really what it means. It's this level of commitment that says, I'm going to give my entire being to the cause of Christ. There's not a lot of institutions or organizations where you see that level of commitment. Maybe the other area that you see that in is in the armed services, where men and women are serving all over the world. They're giving literally their lives for the safety and the freedom that we get to enjoy today. I think specifically of the Marines, right? You you know the Marines? The few, the proud, the Marines. And this is kind of a cool picture. It actually looks like it should be in a recruitment office. But those of you that attend Morris County, do you recognize who this guy is? I know you can't really see because he's not smiling, but this is actually our very own Jimmy Biggs. And Jimmy, whenever I see him, he's got this big smile on his face. And Jimmy actually served as an active Marine for 24 years, going on five combat missions. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I want to say thank you to guys like Jimmy who are serving all over the world in our, to kind of serve our country in such a way. And actually, Jimmy was nice enough to lend me, actually, his, his uh, United States Marine sword. I told him I wouldn't throw this into the stage. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want him to hurt me. But uh, this is kind of a, this is an incredible weapon here. I, I learned so much about this sword. This actually was, is a Marine sword. It is the oldest weapon in the U.S. Armory. So from 1859, the Marines were issued these. And these actually were used in active combat. The last time they were used was in World War II. Jimmy was telling me, this is amazing, that when the Marines were going island to island, when they were about to invade Japan, the Marines actually went, did, basically went hand-to-hand -hand combat against Japanese soldiers that had katanas. And so they would take these swords and they were actually going to battle in that war. And so that was the last time they were used in active battle. But now they're pretty much used more for ceremonial uses, whether it's uh, military events or weddings, things like that. But when we talk about the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit isn't something that's ceremonial. We need the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is the difference between victory and defeat, life or death. In fact, when we've talked about the armor of God, when we put the armor on, that's how we find victory. And so the past six weeks, we've actually explored the armor of God on our Sunday morning services and in our small groups. And we've been kind of looking at the passage found in Ephesians 6, looking at verses 14 to 18. So today is actually going to be kind of the last day that we're going to be going through these scriptures together. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have the Liquid Church app, you can open it up. We actually have the scripture laid in there, as well as the the notes. And here's what I want to do. Because this is going to be one of the last times that we're going to be going through this passage together. I want us to actually read it out loud. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to sit up straight, fill your lungs with air and your hearts with hope. And let's go ahead and say these words out loud together. Ready? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so we're going to talk today about the sword of the Spirit. One of the things that's interesting that Pastor Tim's been teaching us is Ephesians 6 is kind of like the capstone of the entire book of Ephesians. Every section, every piece of armor actually hyperlinks to another part in the book. But what's unique about the sword of the Spirit is there's actually an extra line that explains it. It says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because right now, Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, is talking about how we need to go from a, a posture of defense against the enemy to offense. And so the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is how we move forward and how we take ground and how we go to the offensive. Because similarly to when we look at the Roman armor that the Roman soldier would wear, they would always be going on the offensive. Now when you look at the Roman armor, it's kind of interesting because the Romans had two swords that they would use when they would go into battle. The first is actually the gladius, right? We've been looking at this all week. It's from Gladiator. Who's seen the movie Gladiator, right? Are you not entertained, right? So, you know, this is kind of the gladius. It's kind of the major sword they would use. They'd have their shield and their gladius as they went forward. But this actually is not the sword that Paul's talking about. The sword that Paul is referring to is this guy right here. This is actually the short sword or the dagger. It's about 18 inches from the top of the blade to the bottom of the hilt here. And what's interesting about this is when the so Roman would look at like lose his sword, what they would do is they would have this little dagger here they'd pull out and they would basically go into hand-to-hand -hand combat with their enemy. And the reason why I think Paul was looking at this rather than the gladius was because he realizes that when we're in battle against the enemy, it's up close and it's personal. Like we can actually see how the enemy is moving in our families, how he's attacking our spouse, how he's attacking our kids, how he's attacking the people that are close to us. And that's when we need to actually get in the enemy's face with the word of God, with needlepoint precision, fight back and push the enemy back. That is what it means to use the sword of the spirit, that when the day of evil comes, we're not simply going to be on the defensive, but actually be on the offensive and moving against the enemy so that we can have victory. That's what it means to use the sword of the Spirit, also known as the Word of God. But I don't know if you ever thought about this, but what do Christians mean when they talk about the Word of God? Like, what do we mean by that, right? Now, when Christians talk about the Word of God, we're often referring to the Bible or the Christian scriptures, right? And when we look at what the Bible says about itself, it's really kind of fascinating. There's really three words in Greek the Bible uses to refer about itself. The first is the word graphe. Can you say graphe with me, church? Graphe. You know, we get words like graphics and words like graphite from it. And really, this is basically the ink and the paper. What, what basically having access to a Bible or it's the pixels that you have in your Bible app. It's basically the very kind of thing that you have in your hand that you hold and that you read. See, most of us, I think, have access to a Bible of, in some way, shape, or form. You know, now in the Western world, we have access through technology to, to pretty much everything. And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, we'll, a lot of us, we all have Bibles. Like, you know, they're like these family heirlooms that we never read. But do you have access to a Bible? Do you, can you open one up and actually start to read it? Because when you actually have the Bible, the graphe, then the next word that the Bible uses to talk about itself is logos. Can you say logos with me? Logos. 
This is actually the message of the Bible. This is actually when you actually can, you know, study the Bible, whether it's in your small group, or you hear it in a message, and you're actually seeing, what, what does this mean in its actual historical context? Like, like, who is the author? What's the purpose of this letter or this book? Like, why was it written? When you start to understand the logos, you actually start to understand who God is and how he sees things. And actually, the Bible actually starts to read you to see if you're in line with God's will. For the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any what? Double-edged sword. It penetrates to even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The you know, picture I kind of get with this is like, you know, this Thanksgiving, you know, we're probably going to be carving up a turkey, right? And so when you carve up the turkey, you cut, all, you cut off the, uh, the leg there. You, you separate between the, the flesh and the bone, the bone and the marrow. That's the power of the Word of God. It actually can separate between our thoughts. Is this a God thought or a Satan thought? Is this an, a godly attitude that I'm manifesting or is this a demonic attitude that I'm manifesting? And what happens is it's able to kind of show us what are those thoughts or those attitudes that we have that are honoring God and which ones aren't. But it's interesting that when we come to Ephesians 6, the words graphe and logos are not the words that they're using. It's another word. It's a word called rhema. Can you say rhema with me? Rhema. What rhema is, is this is the spoken word of God. It's more of a personal kind of utterance. Like, you know, if you have the logos, which is understanding what does the Bible mean? How do we properly read it? The rhema is actually the personal word that really kind of connects with you. It's like it speaks to you because it's alive and it's active. It's when the Holy Spirit actually takes a word or a phrase and actually applies it to your life. Let me kind of explain what this looks like. So say you're at church or in your small group, and then all of a sudden the small group leader says something, and you're like, that's exactly what I need, or... Man, like they knew exactly what I was feeling and going through in that moment. That's the power of the rhema word of God. And maybe you've experienced this here at Liquid where you've come to a service and you're hearing a message and, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like, was that pastor like stalking me? Like, was he in my house? Was he reading my emails? Like, how did he know? But that's the power of the rhema word. Let me give you a quick example. This is a, an email that I got from a woman several months ago from a message I, I preached. And she wrote this. She said, I want to take the time this evening to thank you for so much for today's message. It hit home hard for me today as my husband and I are going through a situation that's created so much anxiety for me that I'm unable to drive to work at all or even out places nearer our home. And it causes me to shake, feeling nauseous and lightheaded, almost to the point of passing out. So while, so then the scripture, and I think it was like on Philippians we we're preaching on, came up today. I knew it was God answering me when I asked him to talk to me in a way that I knew would, I would get the message. The biggest part of today, though, to take every thought captive was so powerful, that was like the missing piece of my puzzle. See, this is the power of the rhema word. God actually speaks to us. So when we have a graphe, like we have a Bible in our hands, and we're actually grounded in the logos, that is when God will use the rhema word to speak with pinpoint precision in an area of our life. He'll start to touch our hearts in ways that maybe we weren't expecting. That's the power of God's word. And we need the rhema word. We need that specific word when we're in battle with the enemy so that we have the right weapon that we can unleash in that time. That's exactly what Crystal's looking for. Crystal right now is in a battle with comparison and envy. And as she's preparing to fight this battle, she's doing the same thing. She's opening up God's word. And I want to show you how God's word is going to set up our sister Crystal here for victory. Check this out. As a wife and a mom, I am continually 
bombarded with opportunities to be jealous, to be envious. Uh, for example, I have friends that even though they have you know, four children, their house will stay completely immaculate. I have mom friends who are able to create these amazing meals that look like they should be on TV, and I'm struggling to just get dinner on the table. It doesn't help at all that when I go on social media, everyone is only posting the great trips they have, the, the, the moments where their children look like they should be little models. When I read magazines or look at TV or just walk around, everybody is, is saying, this is what a, a successful mother looks like. This is what successful kids look like. This is what a successful wife looks like. And so just everything around me is saying to be more than I have the energy to be. Whenever I'm faced with jealousy and envy, I, it, it makes me feel like I'm not appreciating who God created me to be. It causes me to question God. And whenever I start to question God, I take those questions to him and say, hey, why did you make this harder for me? Or why did you make this uh, easier for them? And so I have to start seeking in his word more about who I am in Christ and what that means and what that looks like. But the only way that I'm able to keep that perspective is by being in the Word of God. If I'm not in the Word of God, then seeing something that somebody else has does cause me to be jealous and it does cause me to be envious. And so by continually going back to the Word of God, I'm able to take those moments and turn those into opportunities for growth and more fruitfulness for myself and for my own family. As the Lord has given me children and a husband, I have had to seek him in different ways because I don't know how to be a good mother and I don't know how to be a good wife without pursuing him and reading his word. For me, what I struggle with is though I, I just totally want to keep God first, on a day-to-day -day basis, it may look completely different because of, my, because of my responsibilities at home. And so it's a constant battle to get time with the Lord and to stay connected with him because I have my kids pulling on me, my husband has needs, I have needs in my business, and so all my responsibilities are always asking, uh, asking of me. And so to keep my time with the Lord a priority is a daily battle. Who relates to that? Uh, you know, I love what she said at the, end, at the end. She's like, to have that time with the Lord is actually a daily battle. I mean, so when Crystal gets up in the morning, it is nonstop, right? You got these two little kids that you have to go after and you got to corral. And there's laundry everywhere. There's a sink full of dishes. And in the midst of all of that chaos, when she finally gets a chance to sit down, she takes her phone out and she looks through social media and she sees these beautiful vacations and these kids that are baby models and all these other things, like literally someone else's highlight reel. And all of a sudden, boom, she's fallen into the comparison trap. And so when she's going to battle with envy and comparison, what Crystal does is she unsheaths her sword. She takes out her sword and she finds Proverbs 14.30, which says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Meaning that true peace is found in Jesus, not in things. True peace comes from what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And when she's able to get that perspective again, she's able to find victory in the battle, but she's got to go back to that perspective over and over again by going to the rhema word of God. See, that's Crystal's struggle. What's yours? What's your battle that you're fighting? Maybe the battle that you're fighting is maybe you're a young man or a young woman, and you're trying to find, you know, trying to think thoughts that are pure. 
We live in such a sex-saturated world that it's almost difficult to do that. In fact, everything is just simply a click away on the mouse. But what if instead of taking the bait, you just simply unsheath the sword? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. And so can you imagine just kind of going through your day and you're going to work and you're going to lunch and you go to happy hour with your coworkers and all of a sudden you're surrounded by temptation and you're not sure what to do and then you simply unsheath the sword and you remember the words of Paul. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is, what's that word? Faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can't endure it. See, this is how a Christian does battle. They take God's word and they open it up when they go to battle against the enemy. And when we are able to use God's word as a way to fight back, to take back ground, that's where we find victory. Now, the enemy knows this. So the enemy's strategy is simple. His strategy is this. If he knows the power is in God's word, he's going to find some way to try to separate you and actually disarm you from the word of God. How many of you guys have seen like sword fighting movies? Like you know, where people are like fighting each other with swords. One of my favorites has got to be the Princess Bride. Any Princess Bride fans in the room? Right? Oh, yeah. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father? Prepare to die, right? That's awesome, right? Like, this is probably one of the first sword fighting movies I ever saw. And I remember watching it and learning that there's really only two ways that you can kind of defeat an enemy when you're having a sword fight. The first one is you actually have to kill them, right? You actually have to run the sword through them and they die, or at least that's what's supposed to happen, right? The other way is you're kind of having the sword fight with them, and then all of a sudden you disarm them, and then you hold, take them prisoner. Those are kind of the two like, main ways that you kind of get victory in a sword fight. Now, last week we talked about the armor of the helmet of salvation. You know, because Satan has the same strategy. What Satan will try to do is destroy you. But if you've experienced the salvation that comes from Jesus, where he rescues you from sin and darkness and the power of the enemy, then he can't destroy you. But what he'll try to do is disarm you, and take you prisoner. Now there's three main ways that the enemy will try to separate you from God's word. And the first one, I want to look at like one of them. There's a couple here. The first is this, is he'll actually attack the credibility of scripture. He'll attack the credibility of scripture. How many of you heard this before? You know, the Bible, it's such an old book. It's so ancient. Like, you know, it's not really relevant. And what's really the difference between like the Quran or the Hindu Vedas or Harry Potter, right? Like, they're all, they're all the same. Now, while it's true, you know, because, it, you know, the Bible is Scripture, it has a lot in common with a lot of books of other faith, there's also places where the Bible actually stands alone. The Scripture, or the Bible, it's not one book. It's actually 66 different books written by over 40 authors across three continents over 1,500 years in three different languages. But if you read the Bible from beginning to end, it tells one unified story, and it actually points to Jesus. No other book can do that. In fact, if you actually look into it, the, the, the parts in Scripture that are historically verified, because they talk about real people in real places that, that occurred in real time, it's not just a book of faith, it's also a book of facts. But if the enemy can't get you to doubt the credibility of Scripture, what he'll try to do is get you to see Scripture almost like a salad bar, and you actually start to pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. Like maybe you're going through the Bible and you're like, oh, I love this verse. God has plans to prosper me and not harm me. This is great. It's wonderful. Uh, the Lord disciplines those he loves. I don't really like that one. No, no, no. <laughs> Leviticus? I'm not really a fan of this one. No, I'm just going to throw this one out, right? 
But you know what? I don't, if, if we were to grow in our faith and be fully functional disciples, we don't always have that option. In fact, we never have that option. In fact, Timothy tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How much of Scripture? All Scripture. Now listen, there's definitely going to be Scripture passages that we're going to be drawn to, we're going to love, it's going to feed us, but then there's ones that are going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. They're, we're going to wrestle with those passages. And I just want to say, it's okay to wrestle. In fact, your faith isn't going to get deeper if you don't wrestle with those scriptures. God wants you to own your faith. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to wrestle with those scriptures. That's how you're going to go deeper. So when you find those difficult places, don't back down. Lean in. Because you're going to experience God meet you when you're wrestling with God's word. And the other way that the enemy will do, if he can't get you to attack the credibility of Scripture or to, to pick and choose, one of, you, one of the things he'll try to do is actually get you to use Scripture to hurt other people. Do you know that sometimes Satan, what he'll do is he'll actually take people who know God's Word and actually use it to actually attack other people? To actually attack and condemn other believers or, or maybe people who aren't in faith yet? So rather than using the scriptures as a way to uh, help people find freedom and hope and healing, the scriptures actually become like this way to kind of condemn people and cause all sorts of damage. In fact, throughout the history of the world, what has happened is people have used the Bible, Satan has used the Bible to cause more damage and harm than anything else. I mean, you think about all the, the abuses of scripture throughout the history of the world, the scripture who's been used to justify slavery and sexism and racism. All that has kind of been Satan's plan to basically use Scripture to hurt and oppress and destroy others. In fact, sometimes I'll hear believers say things like this, Oh, you struggle with depression? You're taking medication for that? You're going to a counselor? Psst. You know what you need to do? You need to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know what you need to do? You need to read more of God's Word. That's how you're going to find freedom. You don't need to go to a counselor or take medication. Can I just tell you that that's wounding? That's actually abusive. We have a God that works in ways that are bigger than our own. A God who works healing through medication, who works healing through counseling. Some of you need to go get counseling in the name of Jesus. Not avoid it. That's the power of God's word. Yeah, let's give God praise. God uses all these things to bring hope and healing. But the word of God is never meant to be oppressive. It's actually meant to bring freedom and liberation. But if I can be honest with you, I have probably used all of these things at one point in my life. I've probably, you know, doubted God, the credibility of Scripture. I've picked and choose. I've used it to hurt others. I've done all of those things. But when we find ourselves in this place where we've done that, this doesn't mean that we retreat from it or that Scripture is bad. What it actually means is we need to actually use it the right way, the appropriate way. And in fact, we actually need to internalize it and actually memorize Scripture. Because when we can memorize God's Word, it gives us power against the enemy. In fact, Jesus was a master of this. Uh, you know, there was a time before Jesus' ministry began where he was led into the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days. So he's hungry, he's tired, he's thirsty, he's in his most vulnerable place. And when he's in that place, the enemy shows up. And he's like, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? If you are the Son of God, why don't you jump off this ledge and the angels will catch you? If you are the Son of God, why don't you worship me? Because I am the God of this world. And so what Jesus does is he unsheaths his sword and he goes to battle against the enemy. He's like, it is written. It is written that man shall not live on bread alone. It is written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written that you shall only worship the Lord your God. Satan, get out of here. So literally Jesus goes hand-to-hand -hand combat against the enemy until he's gone. And he defeats him. 
That's the power when we have God's word memorized and hidden in our hearts. We can actually go to battle with the enemy. But can I ask you something? How can you stand against the enemy if you do not know what is written? Some of you know your horoscope better than the book of Ephesians. You can tell, tell me what, what Leo is doing this week, but you can't tell me what Paul said about the book of Ephesians. But guys, we need to know God's word. But here's the thing. Let's be honest here. Memorizing scripture is hard, right? Can we just acknowledge it is hard? And also we live in a busy time. It's, where do you find the time to memorize God's word? Well, I'm going to tell you this. You're right. It is hard, but it's an investment. You need to invest the time and the energy to to, to know God's word. And think about it like seeds that you're planting in your soul that are going to bear fruit. It's going to have a huge lifetime of, of impact for you. And in terms of time, you're right, it's hard to make time. You know, but Pastor Tim's preached about the first 15 concept. You guys remember the first 15? Where when you first wake up in the morning, instead of like checking your Twitter account, your email, you spend 15 minutes just reading the Bible, reading God's word. And maybe you find some verses in there that you memorize, that you commit to memory. Because there's power when you take God's word you actually hide it in your heart. You hide it in your heart, and then the Holy Spirit can actually draw it out when you're in battle. That's why it's the sword of the Spirit. So when God's Word's hidden, you've got power. See, when I was um, in high school, I, I became a Christian. Um, I spent a lot of time memorizing the Scripture because someone told me that was something you were supposed to do. So I spent a lot of time hiding God's Word in my heart just to make sure that it was there. And then in my 20s and 30s, like, I ended up using it all the time. Like, I remember when I was in my uh, 20s and all of my friends were getting married, they were having kids, they're kind of moving on. I was still single. And I remember saying, God, what the heck? Like, I feel like I'm stuck. Like, you're just kind of leaving me here. And this verse came back to mind. It was Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I felt like God was saying to me there, Nathan, you just focus on me. You seek me and you give everything to me. I'll take care of your emotional needs. I'll help you find the right group of friends to come around you. I'll help you find your spouse. Just you focus on me. And so that's what I did. I spent my time just serving God. And eventually I met my wife because we were both serving God in the same area. But that verse was a promise. I said, all right, God, I'm going to hold on to this promise because I trust you. I remember when I was a young leader and um, I was um, overseeing a budget of a couple hundred thousand dollars and I had all these other people that were reporting to me. Some of them were older than me. And I was just going, this is crazy. Like, I, I should not be doing this. And then this verse came, 1 Timothy 4.12, which said, let no one look down on you because of your youth, but set an example to believers through love, faith, conduct, and purity. I felt like the Lord was saying, this word is for you to walk in confidence that I've called you to lead, so step up, you can do this. And you know, there was a time where my wife and I were struggling in our marriage. And uh, we were seeing a counselor and we're kind of digging through all the junk and all the, the crap that was there. And then God gave me this word in Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the Lord just cut me to the heart and said, Nathan, you've been selfish. You've been putting yourself first, but I'm challenging you to love your wife just like I love the church, to give your life to sacrifice. See, that's the power of God's word when it's hidden in our hearts. When God's word is hidden in our hearts, he can actually use it to actually change and transform us to make us more like him. So I have a challenge for you as we're kind of wrapping up this series is with your small group, with your family, 
Why don't you memorize Ephesians 6? You can memorize Ephesians 6, 14 to 18. We've been looking at it for the past couple of weeks, and some of you, you probably already know what some of it is. How many of you can name the first three pieces of the armor of God? There's the belt of truth, right? And there's the breastplate, and there's the, the boots, right? You got this. So if you start to kind of, as a, as a family, start to kind of internalize and memorize the scripture, it can be powerful, especially if you're a parent and you've got some young kids, you want to lay a foundation for them, a biblical foundation, a moral foundation. Memorizing scripture is a way that you can help them use the sword that God has called them to use well. You see, when God's word is hidden in our hearts, that rhema word, that's a personal word to us in the situations and circumstances is easily accessible by the power of the Spirit. Which is why Paul ends this sentence by talking about prayer. Because prayer actually activates the armor. You know, in verse 18, Paul says this. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. You see, the sword of the Spirit is important, but unless we're in prayer, which is where we're in communication with God, it's not activated. When we pray, it activates the armor. In fact, when we pray, it says all kinds of prayer, but one of the most powerful ways we can pray is if we can actually pray Scripture back to God. Pray His words back to Him. Because the Scripture teaches us that if we pray according to His will, He hears us, and He'll actually answer our, our requests. But we can't know God's will unless we know the Scriptures. Let me kind of show you how this works. You know, if we're working on, you know, memorizing Ephesians 6 so we can know the armor of God, imagine, imagine this. So, you know, one of the things like I do when I pray is I like to kind of kneel because I feel like a change of posture kind of changes things up. But pray like this. Lord Jesus, today I put on the belt of truth because I know that there's going to be a lot of difficult meetings and difficult decisions, so I need your truth. And God, I also put on the breastplate of righteousness, God, Lord, I know insecurity is going to attack me and anxiety is going to attack me, but I want to remember that because of what you did for me on the cross, you see me as holy and blameless and righteous. Help me walk in uprightness the way you've called me to. And God, I also wear the boots of peace. You haven't called me to live in anxiety, but you've called me to walk in peace and to advance forward. And God, I, I, I take up the shield of faith, Lord, so when criticism or discouragement comes my way, I can walk in active faith. And then God, I, I put on the helmet of salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your work of salvation from rescuing me from a place of darkness and bringing me into your kingdom. God, I thank you for your word, your sword, so that I can do battle against the evil one, so I can know what you've called me into. See, when we learn to pray scripture back to God, we actually activate the armor. We can go through our day knowing that our armor is on and we can walk in victory. I want you to know something here. In the past couple weeks, we've been talking about the armor of God here, and we've talked about, you know, the different parts of the armor, but, but we've never actually talked about the back. Because Romans didn't have any armor on the back. Because for Romans, they only went in one direction, forward. And Paul doesn't talk about armor on our backside because as Christ followers, we're called forward. We don't stop. We keep advancing. In fact, who, who's got our back? But God himself. He's got our backs no matter what. When we look at what happened on the cross, Jesus was dying and Satan was laughing. Because he's like, this is it. I've defeated God. I've defeated the Son of God on the cross. 
And so Jesus has his side pierced and the enemy thinks he's won. But little did you know that in that moment on the cross of Calvary, that was actually when the enemy was defeated. Because the only weapon that the enemy had against us was death. And when Jesus died, and then he rose again, death was defeated. Death was defeated, amen? That was the power of the cross. And when death was defeated, the final war was over. The battle was done. In fact, what we experience today are the skirmishes because ultimately the ultimate victory is in Christ. One day he is going to come and he is going to rescue the created order. He is going to come and bring his rule and reign. And so to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross, the ultimate victory, we celebrate with a, with a uh, ritual that the church has done for thousands of years called communion. You know, for the past six weeks, we've battled together. You know, we hear these stories of people in their small groups or from Wednesday Night War Room, and many of you, you're in a battle right now, and you're still in that battle. And we want to know that we stand with you. And then when we come together to take communion, it's our way to remember that the battle, it's not us who's won it, it's Jesus who's won it for us. His victory enables us to walk in victory today. So in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion across all of our campuses. But first, I want to pray for you. Because just because our series on spiritual warfare is over doesn't mean that your battles are over. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. In fact, God is still with you because he's your mighty warrior. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and do what only you can do? You've already won the victory for us on Calvary. And so right now, we ask that you would help us experience victory today. Lord, you know the battles that we're fighting right now, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are having health battles and financial battles. They're having battles with their kids and their parents. There's relationship battles right now. God, I pray that they would submit themselves to the cross. Because at the end of the day, you are our divine warrior. You're the one that goes to war for us. And I pray, God, that we would take up the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. That we would pray the scriptures back to you. So we would stand in that word, that rhema word that we need in this season. So Father, the enemy's defeated. Help us to walk in the victory that you've even won for us. And as we celebrate communion, help us to remember that he is defeated. But through you, we have victory. We're more than conquerors. In Jesus' mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen.